Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Hi, people! What is good? It is Wednesday. What is the date? The 24th? 24th of February? I don't know the dates anymore because it's spring training and every day is a blessing to us. You know Listen, I, mean? I know this date. It is burned into my soul, Danny. You know why? Tell you me. don't know why. Because today, three years ago, was the day baseball died for me. <laughs> no, well, I got hurt. Well, I mean, not no, it did happen. I got hurt. It's when I broke my leg with Philly in spring training, like the second game of the year. And now I'm here. I was having a good day until you brought that up. My Hey, you know what? <laughs> it happened and it's okay. We have some cool stuff today, so whatever. If you wouldn't have gotten injured, we would have never met. We would have eventually met. You somehow, think it, it somehow, some, yeah, some way, soulmates. Hey. <laughs> hey. Danny Vietti here, Will Middlebrooks, my co-host. We got a packed show for you. We're going to talk about the NL East division. And one of those guys that just happened to play in the National League East, Reese Hoskins, first baseman for the Philadelphia Phillies. He's going to be joining us on today's show. Uh, one of Will's old teammates, too. So Great guy. Yeah, good guy. So we're going to sit down and talk with him. We're going to talk about what went wrong last season. With the Phillies, they, of course, had a lot of, um, you know, stoppages because of COVID. So I think myself included, I think a lot of people are looking forward to what the Phillies have in store for this season. Just a quick news rundown. Um, Fernando Tatis Jr., $340 million extension, 14-year deal. And then a little, um, not as great news, but still staying on the West Coast, Seattle Mariners president CEO Kevin Mather resigned after his comments to the Rotary Club. Um, I don't want to go too in-depth on the comments that were made because they were extremely offensive at times, and he also kind of exploited his own little party of owners. So I want to get your thoughts here because Kevin Mather essentially said, yeah, we, we um, manipulate service time. And he told that to the Rotary Club before he resigned. And then on the other side, there was Fernando Tatis Jr. that signed his extension. He was asked what it meant to him that A.J. Preller didn't manipulate his service time. He instead brought him up to the big leagues in 2019 right away when he could have kept him down in AAA. Um, and, and, and Tatis basically said it built trust and it helped build that relationship between him and front office. So I want to get your thoughts about manipulation of service time in Major League Baseball. Well, it's it's a common play. <laughs> this isn't, this isn't a, a surprise to anyone. But no front office executives come out and just are that transparent about this. It's normally, it's it goes without saying. People know it happens, and just it just goes under. It files under. It's a business, right? We want an extra year of control of this player, so we're gonna wait a couple of weeks to bring him up, right? Could the Padres have waited with Tatis? Yeah, but they'd probably still be extending him anyways because he's that good and. I think they they knew if they waited another year or two to do this, he might be worth more than than three forty. There, yeah, it's a huge roll of the dice. But if you're going to roll the dice, I think that is the player, that is the projection, that is the ceiling you roll the dice on uh, for a franchise player um, and and one of the faces of the game. But that was a that was a bad look, not only for for the Mariners, uh, but it just kind of turned over some stones within executives. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go on a limb and say there are a lot of GMs and front office people out there going, come on, man. Like, don't like people in the back of their mind know that this happens, but now everyone is very, very aware of it. And he just admitted to 
a lot of the things that go on behind closed doors in the front office. Yeah, it's like owners have these um, these tattoos on their backs that they don't show everyone. And Kevin Mather straight up just got in the middle of a circle and just got naked and showed everybody <laughs> the old butterfly tattoo that he has on his back. It um, wouldn't yeah. like Major League Baseball ownership. Well, but it it might as well have been a target on his tattoo it, on his back. Exactly. And especially with the CBA coming up after this year. And Josh Donaldson said it perfectly on Twitter. He said, thank you, Kevin Mather. We need yeah, the CBA grievances. Book. The grievances now, like the uh, players' union, that just has hearts in their eyes. Like, oh, <laughs> thanks, man. Yeah. You're the man. We love it. You want to come work for us now? You basically do. <laughs> thanks. So, the, so they they got a guy. He didn't get fired. He technically resigned. But let's say he, he got, got fired. He, he got anytime something like this happens and they step down or resign, they go, "Hey, man, we have respect for you because you've been here and you've worked hard for us." We're going to just well, put it down as a re- resignation, or because he but beat it. Yeah. Or be, worked hard, or he was rich. Either of those two. You um, know what I'm saying. He contributed. With, with Tatis, by the way, you, you mentioned risk because of his age and, and you know money and a lot of commitment and stuff like that. I will leave it at this. If you've ever watched this kid play, you know he's worth every single penny. And any type of long-term deal, it doesn't matter if the kid's 28, doesn't, it doesn't matter if he's 21, 22 years old. There's always going to be a risk for injury. It doesn't matter the player, it doesn't matter the age. There's always going to be risk involved when you're signing a guy to a 14-year contract. But yeah. if you ever watch this kid play, he could go 0 for 4 at the dish. He's still worth the price to admission because he's going to make an electrifying play in the field. He's going right. to swipe a bag or two. He could be the face of baseball, kind of like we mentioned on the podcast. And he's not going to be 40. He's going to be 36. 30, yeah, he's not. This isn't a and then, like, we know there's going to be a universal DH. So let's say he loses a step when he's 32, 33 years old. Cool. You can put him at DH, and he's still going to hit 30 and 90, 30 and 100. He's still going to hit. Obviously, that's a projection based off of analytics and metrics and blah, blah, blah. But that's the game we're in, and he projects to put up those numbers every year. So they thought it was a good deal. I think it's a great deal. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And a lot of people think, oh, he's young. He's going to get exploited. They're going to throw more breaking balls. He had a higher OPS against breaking balls or just as high of an OPS against breaking balls as he did fastball. So yeah, he I think he's going to be all right with the off-speed pitches. Let's yeah, he's going to continue to develop, too. That's the thing. He's going to continue to get better. That's scary. pretty scary. <laughs> Let's switch gears. Let's head out east where you are. Of course, not exactly, but some, you know the Marlins are kind of close to where you are. Let's go east. east. I'm as far east as... You can go in Florida. I've been trying to recruit you to California forever. You just don't believe in it. Yeah. I like the no state income tax here. Good try. Yeah. But let's talk about the NL East because just as exciting as the NL West is going to be the NL East. I think those two divisions are going to be the most exciting. The NL East, one through five, you can make the case all five of those teams could compete for an NL Central crown. Well, yeah, you're yeah. right. I had to think about what you were saying. You said, you know, central. Yeah, definitely. Because they're definitely down. That's not an indictment on the central. No, the central's down. They are down. But the NL East is just that stat. That's kind of my point. Yeah. It's Um, a combination of central being a little down. And, um, I mean, we get teams like the Cubs who had the money to make moves and chose not to. So You're so salty um, about the Cubs. I'm damn salty about that because I love David Ross and I want him to win. (laughs) I like that. Okay, well, let me ask you. Who do you have one in the NL East this year? Let's get right down to it. This is tough. This is a tough one for me. Um, I I am going to go with the Mets. Yeah, and, uh, and it was tough because I and I think it comes comes down to the last week of the season. I really do. I think it's between them and the Braves. Uh, there's literally, f- in my opinion, four teams that will have a decent shot um, if they stay healthy and. Yeah. Get some help from other teams not being healthy. Who are those, those teams? What was that? Who are those four teams? Well, Mets and Braves, I have it fighting at the top, and then I have the second tier, which is Philly and Washington. I, I think the and I and honestly, and I'm not and I'm not boo-booing on on Miami. I think they're loaded with talent, young arms. Uh, they love that underdog mentality. So all these projections putting them in fifth place is not gonna do anything but feel feel them like we saw last year. Uh, was it a product of a shorter season? Probably. But they're still a scrappy team. I, I really love their their pitching uh, with Sixto, Lopez, Alcantara. Like, those those guys are really good. They would be really good on just about any club. So, but back to the top. Pitching. P- 
pitching for the Mets. They have so much depth. DeGrom, Carrasco, Stroman. Taiwan Walker was a massive sign for to be probably their number four, I would think. Yeah. Uh, you can is, put them in any order be, behind, be, behind yeah. DeGrom. You can yeah. really put anybody in. Yeah. Um, but Thor back in June, they're saying? Maybe. Maybe. Hopefully. Yeah. Oh, we'll see. But then uh, David Peterson and Luke Casey, they got from your Padres. So I'll say your Padres. I, you I love know. the Padres. Okay, okay. I am a fan of baseball. The center of the baseball universe is in San Diego. I, I've gotten this a lot lately. You're a Padres homer. You know what? I'm a baseball homer. The most exciting place for baseball right now is in San Diego. It doesn't make me a Padre fan. It makes me a fan of baseball. I'm going to leave it at that. Okay, that's fair. Um, I'm glad you did. The, Brave, the Braves, was that again? I'm glad you gave me that platform because that's been that's been hitting at me. All right, but the Braves, uh, the Braves pitching is really good too. I, I love the Morton sign. Soroka's back from the Achilles. Um, Smiley was a good pickup for the back end of the rotation. Yeah, I like Ian Anderson, Max Fried. They're solid too. But I think the I think the Mets have a little more depth. I think the Mets bullpen, who's actually been their grip tonight the past I don't know seventy years, um, has a really good chance to be good this year. And we, we've talked a lot about this off, off the show a little bit uh, because they have had a lot of failure with Diaz, Familia, uh, but Tantas wasn't great. Um, they've got some power arms, but they had to go to those guys every night. Mm-hmm. All right. If Diaz wasn't doing well, they kept putting them out there. They might've changed his role and threw him in the seventh or eighth or, you know, a, a less uh, important situation, leverage situation. Uh, Familia, same thing. He's had his issues the past few years. The stuff is there. The production has not been. Well, now they with with Loop, um, Trevor May, those guys, they can plug these guys in, mix them up, and you don't have to go the same guys every night. There's depth is the word I'm looking for. So I think that makes their bullpen that much better, gives them more consistency, um, and, I, and I don't like the Braves bullpen. I just don't. I, I think Chris Martin's their best arm. AJ Mitzer's a good left arm, left-handed power arm. Uh, but you lose Melanson, you lose Shane Green. I just think their bullpen hurts them this year. The Braves lineup is unbelievable. <laughs> we, the, the Braves lineup is better than the Mets lineup. But in this era we're in with launch angle and slugging, um, good pitching tends to win more games than than good offense. So I, I'm going to go with the Mets to win this one. I think you basically hit it on the nose by saying one through nine, or even if you include their rotation, the Braves are probably a better team. But realistically, they're not going to, you're not going to have all those players stay healthy 162 straight games. So I think your point is the Mets have more depth. Therefore, the Mets will win out across a longer season. The Braves were better set up. They even had more depth last, last year, but the Braves are probably better suited for a shorter season because they don't maybe have as much depth. So let's say this season was 60 games like it was last year. Maybe you would pick Atlanta, right? Um, I think maybe. so. Yeah. And another point, too, is I think both of these teams would benefit from a DH. Yeah. You know, especially the Braves because now, yes, Ozuna is not a terrible left fielder. We have this, there's this whole stigma around that he's an awful left fielder because he had the shoulder surgery and he, he won a gold glove and, the expectations were very high, and then he kind of came back to earth, and it's just been pretty average, mm-hmm. which is okay when you're driving in 100 runs <laughs> or more. So it, they're going to have – yes, they probably like to plug better defense in left and just have them in DH. Mm-hmm. But uh, obviously, that's not going to happen this year. Or it doesn't seem like it is. So the thing with the Mets, it's funny. When I look at the Mets, I'm like, oh, my gosh, they made all these great offseason moves. They're going to be back on top. I've, I've been a believer in the Mets for the past three years. Really, ever since they, too. when they got Edwin Diaz, I'm like, oh my gosh, that bullpen. They got, they got Batances. I'm like, that bullpen is disgusting. They got that rotation with the Grand Thor. And then, of course, Thor got hurt. And then they just really haven't been able to put it together. It's really been the nuts. The, the nuts. It's been the nuts. It's been the Mets in a, in a nutshell. <laughs> I do live down the road from the Modesto Nets. You, you might have played them when you're in the I Miami. didn't play in that league. I never played in the Keller League. Okay. Anyways, the Mets. It, it's not been a, a matter of talent. It's been a matter of execution. So last year, they were third in Major League Baseball in OPS, their lineup. They were fourth in slugging. They were third in hits. But guess what? They were only 13 in runs scored. Why is that? They were 22nd with runners in scoring. They were 22nd with runners in scoring position. They hit just 245 with runners in scoring position. So it's not a matter of talent. It's about execution. I think 
to have better execution, it's about culture. It's about belief. It's about 100%. teammates. And that is an intangible that is not taught, but it's, it's culture. And so for me, having this new ownership, bringing in Francisco Lindor, who's a yes. given leader, that is going to flip the switch for them. So they already have the talent. Now they're turning the tides a little bit, and now they're changing their culture. And now they're going to have Marcus Stroman coming back to who they didn't have last year. So it's not a matter of talent. They already have the talent. Now if they can just figure things out and, and, and use that talent to their advantage, that's where it's really going to start clicking on all cylinders. There's something to be said about when you come to the field and expect to win every day. Mm-hmm. And it goes the other way as well. I've been on teams where you get to the field and you're like, just got to get through this. <laughs> you know, I, I was, I've played on last place teams. I've played on first place teams and that is a real thing. And you can feel it in the clubhouse when you get there and, and you can feel that energy. You're like, Every day you get there, you feel like you're going to win. You play better. Mm-hmm. You get there and you know you're going to go out and get your ass kicked. It's tough to show up every day and, and be your best. Can and, I ask you I, this? Can I ask you a question? It's kind of a spinoff off this question or off this earlier point that you just made. And the minors, did you guys actually try and win games? Because it's yeah. really about development. But does it really matter if you're in AAA and you win a game? No, it doesn't matter. But... You want to learn how to win. You want to, you want to develop players that play to win, not play f- for their for the back of their baseball card. So when you guys back. walked away with a with a win or a loss, you guys walked away. Let's say hypothetically, you go two for four with a dinger and you guys lost. Are you happy about your performance, or are you like, and eh, we lost? Yes, you're happy with your performance because ultimately you're trying to get to the big leagues. Um, but you do want to win because you, you're your teammates or your family, um, maybe that loss affected a pitcher or if you not playing well or making a couple errors affected, you know, the pitcher or whatever. There's so many things, that, variables that go into it. Yeah, you want to win, but I think I, I think the biggest thing is creating a winning culture. I think when I came up in the Red Sox organization and I feel like they did a really good job of, yes, putting emphasis on developing yourself, being a good teammate, this and that, but we want to win. They were transparent with it. They said, look, we realize like wins and losses don't really matter. It's about development. They said that, but we want to develop winners. If you take a group of players who have lost and never had any success as a team through the minor leagues, they're going to have a different mentality when they get to the big leagues. Selfish mentality, probably. Yes. Maybe it depends on the person and the individual, but if you're used to winning and striving to win, even if you're not striving to win, but you're on a winning team, you expect to win. It's what's, it's what's normal. So it's like ingrained in you. I need to do what's best for the team to win. Okay. Runners on first and second. This is just hypothetical. Runners on first and second. You're in triple a bottom of the ninth. You're tie ball game. Are you bunting? Are you swinging away? If the coach gives me the sign, do, do they not, often give that bunt sign? Or like, how often is it? Depending on the... Depends on the game. Depends on the player. So I know this is a high... It also depends on what organization you're in. Because if you're in the NL uh, and you're like towards the end of the lineup or it depends on where, when you're flipping the lineup and all that. If it's a big game, yeah, they'll give it to you. I had to... I bunted maybe once or twice in my entire minor league career. <laughs> and I, when I got to... And I definitely did it in high school. <laughs> um, but I was asked to bunt they multiple times during my rookie year. Yeah. I was expected to get the bunt down. And I'm like, thank God I worked on this a little bit. Because there, there's guys who have gone up to the big leagues, been asked to bunt in a situation, couldn't do it, and got sent down. So, And, and they, that is something in the minor leagues they tell us too. Like When you're starting your first round of BP, you have like a couple bunts here, a couple bunts there. And a lot of guys just kind of like dog it, whatever. And we would have coaches and uh, and hitting instructor or uh, coordinators tell us, hey, this is more important than you think. You go up and don't get it down, they're going to send you right back down. Interesting. Yeah. So th- there's more emphasis on it than you think. Um, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal until you screw it up in the big leagues. <laughs> it never is. Um, by the way, I mentioned how I love the Mets and their talent and how I do think they're changing their culture. I still have Atlanta 
over New York in my NLE's prediction. It's going to come down to a game or two, I think. It's a do, you, do you think it's close? Do you think they're both oh. like... this? Okay, so this is what my division looks like. I have Braves, Mets, Phillies, Nationals, Marlins. I could see... Every sing- I could see every single one of those teams be incorrect in my predictions. I could see the Marlins finish in first place. Who That's I a have. sign of a really good division, though. This is, is, I think this is the best division in baseball. One through five, yes, I would agree with you. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying they have, like, yeah, one through five, absolutely the most talent. Well, l- l- let me ask you, because we're going to be talking with Reese here in a couple minutes. W- what do you have the Phillies? Do you think they have an outside shot at winning this division? Or, of winning or the division, the um, I mean, yeah, they have an outside shot. I don't, I don't love their pitching. I love their offense. I love their lineup. Yeah. I think, I think Reese Hoskins has a, a big year this year. I do. I think he bounces back. I don't think he's a two thirty hitter. I don't. He's not. If he is, he's there. Power. Yeah, but I think he's actually more of like a two sixty, two seventy hitter with power. Mm-hmm. I do because I've hit with him in the cage. I know his approach. I don't know if he was dealing with this and that last year. There were some issues, I, I know, but that's not for me to say. Um, but he's a really good hitter, and he's surrounded by good hitters. But JT and Bryce, DD, like they, they're talking hitting in there, and, and they're nailing down good approaches. So I think Reese has a big year this year. But I just don't. I don't like their pitching. I think that beyond Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler, like have Eflin. I, I just don't – I don't think they have the pitching depth. I don't think they're – last year their bullpen was beat up. Though. Everyone was hurt, mm-hmm. and their bullpen was god-awful last year. Uh, they made some good signs this offseason to help bolster that the bullpen a little bit. I just still don't think they have enough pitching depth to stay at the top of this division with that's the Braves fair. and the Mets. That's fair. I Maybe it's wishful thinking because I want to see Bryce Harper back in the playoffs. Of course. But I think they have enough in their bullpen to figure out whatever went wrong last year. Because their starters last year, they were 10th in ERA, and they were 3rd in strikeouts. Now, they lost Jake Arrieta, but I don't think that's this monumental loss. They can fill that hole. Um, They got Matt Moore, who I don't exactly believe in. But nevertheless, their starters were better than people give them credit last year. It was just their bullpen, 7.06 ERA last year. Last in the bigs, obviously. At 3... Their bullpen it was a 315 opponent batting average against their bullpen. 13 blown saves. He turned those 13 blown saves into five. That's an eight win plus team. Now you're not looking at a sub 500 team. You're looking at a team that's probably in the playoffs. So yeah, they've added Arson Bradley. They've added Jose Alvarado, Tony Watson, Brandon Kinsler. That's de- those are some decent, but Kinsler had a monster year with Miami last year. He can repeat that. Archie Bradley's a really, really underrated, nice arm. I think they have enough to compete. Is it enough to get them? Because this is where we get into this expanded playoff conversation. So there's not going to be an expanded playoff, at least as of right now. If there was an expanded playoff, I have Philadelphia in. But because there's not, I think they just missed the cut. That's just my personal belief. Yeah. You said it. I I think they do have an outside chance. I think they're going to have to score six runs a game. That's yeah. a lot in the big leagues, six, six and a half runs a game. I, th- I think that gives them a better chance. They're going to have to score runs, and I think they can. But in division, there's Scherzer, there's Strasburg, there's Morton, Soroka, Freed, Stroman, DeGrom, Carrasco. Good luck scoring that many runs against that those arms. That That's my only argument. Um, in division, they're going to have a hard time matching up uh, with, with, I mean, even the Nats, I mean, they're with starting pitching, they're going to have a tough time matching up there. Well, let, let, let's talk about the Nats real quick before we transition because both of us are kind of counting them out. They were the 2019 World Series champs, and that they had kind of a funky 2020. So we're both counting them out. Why are we counting them out? Um, they added Josh Bell. They added Kyle Schwarber, John Lester, Brad Hand. They, they, they fall added- right there with Philly for me. They're, they, I'm not counting them out. It's just another team that I think isn't as deep as the Braves or the Mets. Period. I think they're right there with the with the Phillies. They have good players. I mean, Turner, Soto, Swarber. I think Swarber has a good year. Actually, I think he's had a good. I think the change of scenery would be good for him. Josh Bell, like you said, but Scherzer, Corbin, Strasburg, Lester. I think, like I said a few weeks ago, I think Joe Ross 
if he can get in that, if he has a good spring, I think he ends up having a good year. If he doesn't have a good spring, they're not going to put him in the rotation because they have uh, who's the guy? Is it Freedy? Freed? Freedy? F R E D D E. How do you say that? Freddie? Is it Freddie? Freddie? Yeah. Freddie? Freddie? Freedy? One of those. Guys. That guy. We know now who we're talking about. That I think he's got a chance to be at the back of that that uh, rotation as well. Um, but I don't know, man. I just. What's their bullpen? What's their bullpen look like? I mean, I don't. Brad Hand was a nice pickup. Tanner Rainey. Brad Hand was a nice pickup. You're right. Tanner Rainey is very hard. They, they, they lost Doolittle, right? They lost Doolittle, um, and then they added Jeremy Jeffers, who you like. Jeffers, Jeffers. He's got to make the team. Well, he's on a minor league deal, which yeah. kind of blows my mind. He's been sub two for the last two seasons, correct? Two out of three. So has, two out of, okay, yeah, oh. yeah. It was. It was. Yes, correct. The year 2019 was not good for him. But he was dealing with injuries too. So. Exactly, which doesn't – I don't know, man. Had it, he had a 175. It was 22 appearances last year. He's not a 175. Everyone – I know his numbers scream. It was lucky. He was well. lucky. Was he lucky. was lucky. I'd rather be lucky than good any day of the week. Yeah. Any yep. day of the week. Yeah. If you're lucky – I got a question. If you're lucky, are you good? And if you're unlucky, are you bad? I think if you're consistently lucky, you're good. If you're, if you, <laughs> that means consistently lucky means you're just good. Exactly. Like if, if you just come around, like you happen to come around on success every once in a great while, you're lucky. But if you're consistently lucky, you're not lucky. You're good. I think they could have given him a. Someone should have given him a. You telling me nobody could give him a big league deal for two million dollars? Brandon Kinsler minor league deal with. Uh, uh, who who we just talked about Philadelphia? He had a monster year with Miami. So isn't that crazy? And it's all and it's all because of metrics, analytics, and how they project players, which is that's where we're at. I get it. That's it. But I think analytics. Oh, how should I say this? Analytics benefits the front office more than it than it than it benefits the player. Do you agree or disagree? I'm trying to wrap it's that. It's a measuring tool to figure out what guys project, and I understand that. But there's so many stats for you to sift through and say, oh, well, that makes, you know, we're not going to pay you this much because I think that means you're not going to project. They don't play, they don't pay players for what they did anymore like they used to. They pay you for what they think you're going to do. Projections. Right. Right. So that's what, that's what I mean. Projections. If a guy, I'm trying to think of the best way to word it. It's hard to word it. It's a double standard is what you're saying. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. Because they're not paying players for, okay, Christian Yelich, most unlucky, I said most unlucky hitter in baseball last year. You're saying he would take a dip in contract because his batting. Yes. yes. So if you go out and ball out, but you're, you have a high, uh, was it bad bip? Is that how you say it? Batting average on ball and play. Yes. Bad bip. Hey, that's how you word that. That's how you say that. Um, are you so you you go and you have a good year and that's really high? All of a sudden, oh well, he's lucky. He was lucky, so we shouldn't pay him. I know he hit three fifty, but it was because he had a, he was lucky. Mm-hmm. Oh no, he he, he hit three fifty. Yeah. So you pay him for that? Not well, he was lucky. Uh, he hit three ten the other years um, because he you know more balls were caught. No, it doesn't. That blows my mind. I get it, and but that's where I say the front office takes advantage of of the numbers. Because mm-hmm. if you were lucky, you played well, but your numbers show that you were lucky, was quote unquote lucky. Um, then we don't have to pay you as much. But if you were bad and it shows you're unlucky, they'll be like, "Oh no, you were bad. Your numbers weren't good, so we're, we don't have to pay you." That's the double standard. You only hit for a two twenty batting average, but my bat pip was. Lesson I was clearly just unlucky, sir. So give me a major right, but no. that's that's they twist it to have it match what they want to pay you every time. That's why I think it it, it benefits the front office more yeah. than the player. Now there are players who benefit from it, like a Harrison Bader, someone like that. Like his analytics are really good, and his numbers maybe don't show up. I think he's still pitchers, in the league. I think pitchers can benefit from it. I think um, get, get the whole lefty on lefty matchup type thing. Like, oh, he's really good lefty on lefty. Let's give him a couple more. Let's give him a right. big deal because we need a lefty. All on right, lefty. but opponents opponents right handed against them are batting five ninety. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, but he, but you have a good slider that that lefties don't see very well out of your hand. So now you're a big leaguer for ten years. It's like, 
That's, That's crazy fair. to me. We look at Sergio. Look. look at Sergio Romo. Like he never has had like elite stuff, but his slider, you don't. I've faced him. Like you just don't pick his slider up well, mm-hmm. and righties just can't hit it. I don't know. Maybe that's a bad example, but like he doesn't have elite stuff yet. He's felt like he's been in the league for 50 years. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Before we transition to just to clear things up, you have the Mets winning division and you need close. I got them winning by like a game. And then the the Braves probably taking a wild card spot. Yeah, I do. Okay. I am the opposite. I have the Braves along with the Padres in the wild card spot. That's ridiculous. Isn't that crazy? They're going to win 95 games and be a wild card team. Yeah. The two the two best teams, I don't want to say the two best teams, but two of the best teams could be wild card players. Really? Yeah, they could. As we saw in 2019, wild card teams win World Series. That's true. Let's catch our breath. Let's have Reese Hoskins coming up next. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Back here on the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast, back here with Philadelphia Phillies first baseman, Reese Hoskins joining us on today's program. Thanks so much for joining us today, Reese. Yeah, guys, we, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's, it's always good to talk some baseball. Well, let's talk baseball. Let me ask you this first. You guys are running it back. You guys re-signed Didi. You guys brought in Archie. You're bringing back uh, ooh, JT, of course. I failed to mention JT. Uh, how dare I do that? You guys are running it back for another year. And I'm excited for you guys because first and foremost, right from the bat last year, you guys had COVID complications, not necessarily with your team. But you guys were playing the Marlins in that first series and everything, the you know what hit the fan right away. I'm pumped for you guys just to have a full 162 with your guys' squad. How pumped are you to finally you know, run it back and have a real, I don't want to say a real season. I hate the, the 2020 season that it was. But how pumped are you to give it another shot with these uh, with these guys? Yeah, man, I'm, I can't wait. Um, you know, it's it also feels a little a little longer too for me because of the injury at the end of last season. So, you know, there's obviously with with what the front office has done, um, you know, the last month or so, and and you know, spent some money and, and brought back a lot of important players for us. Um, yeah, it's great to to you know, we we kind of it kind of feels like we got a glimpse of what. Um, the team could have been, you know, last year with only playing 60 games. So we got a lot of guys that um, have proven themselves, you know, over the long season that it is for many years in their career. So I'm excited to see, you know, what this lineup can do potentially over a long season, a, a normal season. Um, you know, we scored a bunch of runs last year. I don't really see why that would change this year. So it feels like we're going to be in a lot of games and that's really all you can ask for. Yeah, that offense, um, I was tweeting about it you know, a couple weeks ago when you guys re-signed JT and just saying, like, the lineup is this pretty much the same as last year, but I re- still really like it. it. So Scoring runs wasn't the issue. It was stopping the runs. Um, sure. And that offense needs to be that good because you know how good the pitching is in, in your division. <laughs> so yeah. it's ridiculous. I mean, Danny and I were talking about it earlier. I think it's the best division in baseball. When even the Marlins, who are going to supposedly hold up the the you know last place, they're still going to compete and they're still going to play hard. They're young, they're talented. We saw what they could do last year, and then obviously what the Mets are doing, what the Braves are, have been doing. Uh, you, there's tons of good arms. So as a hitter, um, and the, it's going to be in the heart of that lineup. You have to be following these moves that are going on, and it's not like you prep differently, but um, you know you got to be a little more locked in come April. 
Of course, man, of course. Um, you know, we can just go straight to Bauer, right? Like, obviously, he, I think about adding that on to the division in, in a division full of what I think, and I would agree with you. When, I think when you can't pick a division winner and you can't pick who is going to be at the bottom of the division, it probably means something that's pretty good about the division. Um, I also think it has the best arms in the league by far. Um, I'm biased, obviously. I get to see these guys more often than than not. I, I say get to. Um, it's not fun facing these guys at how good they are. But, um, yeah, man, I mean, it's, it's going to be a great season. I'm, I, I think – like you said, we're going to score some runs. Um, last year was weird, no matter what, no matter how you how you spin it. And I think um, you know some of the with some of the presence that we've added, arm wise, um, guys that have you know been in this league, there's experience. Some of those young guys in the bullpen to lean on. Um, I think you're going to see some different results uh, over a, a normal season, and I think that has has us pretty excited. How much? Do you think that we mentioned it already, uh, the COVID interruptions from last year, how much do you think uh, impacted your guys' team and just the inability to get any, any kind of consistency going? Because like I said, right from the jump, COVID, and then you guys had to take the break. You think that guys that really, you know, played a factor in how you guys resulted as a, as a group last year? It's hard to say either way, man. I mean, look, everybody at the end of the day had to go through um, – you know, living through the virus last year when we didn't really have a whole lot of information on it. Um, I do think it's going to be a lot different this year because we have the foundation um, that worked pretty well. You know, obviously we had a couple breakouts throughout the league, but um, we have a foundation that worked. And I think, you know, we can tighten some protocols and, and adjust when we need to. Um, but I will say that I think our staff and, and Joe um, Girardi did a really great job at stressing the importance of like being flexible, just like anything could change literally at any minute. Like, you know, everyone's doing their best with this thing. We don't really know um, what the best way to go about this is. So we were prepared for anything. Obviously it wasn't ideal, you know, having to shut down for a week after just getting going, but um, we did what we could and we're just going to continue to do that. We'll be good. So uh, you brought up Joe. So obviously when I was there with you, uh, I think it was your second year in the big leagues uh, yeah. with Kapler, Gabe Kapler, and then you, now you got Girardi. Two, two different – I don't know. I haven't played for Girardi, so I'm not sure of his style. But I know, I know he embraces the new wave of baseball and analytics, which you have to in Philly. Uh, you know, I got to know Sammy Fold, and, and, mm-hmm. and now he's in the front office, which he was kind of the bridge between the analytics group and, uh, and the players that pretty much put in layman's term and dumb it down for the players, uh, which was a really cool position, I thought. But I guess my question is, what's the biggest difference between Kapler, who's very analytical, uh, and Girardi, who is known as more of an old-school guy who is, like I said, embracing the new age of baseball? Sure. I think it's exactly that, man. Um, you know, you can – they're both very um, straight-edge people, right? Like, they, they're very thorough in their work. They prepare like no, no other – um, both communicate better than anybody that I've been around. Um, obviously, it's a little bit different because it's at the big league level and you know, the, the lights are brighter and this and that. But, um, yeah, I think it's just that old school mentality. You know, Joe played further back. Um, he's a little bit older than Cap, and the game has changed in those years. And I'm not saying that either one is better by any means, but you could just see differences um, – you know, in the way that they go about their day-to-day business and um, the way they communicate with us and, you know, things that are important to them. So it's been great. I'm excited to get a second year under Joe. Um, hopefully many more to come and just kind of, you know, establish that rapport with, with each other and hopefully long relationships. All right, so Philly fans have this reputation as being hard on their players. You're a Cali guy. East Coast is a little bit different. Is there any kind of validity to this idea that Philly fans are tough on their players? Um, I'll say the, the the East Coast fans and Philly fans in, in particular are definitely different than the West Coast fans and Northern California fans that I grew up with. Um, I think because there's a lot more sports teams in a small area, the competitiveness of each area um, – is heightened 
which is always fun, man. It's, it's not what we as athletes are hoping to play for. So um, it's great, man. I, I really enjoyed, you know, being an athlete in, in this city. Um, it's really broadened my perspectives on sport in general coming from California. So um, it's been really fun to, to be a part of. All right. So I want to change gears a little bit. Yes. Um, obviously, we spent some time in the cage together when I was with you in 18. Um, and, and this was, you know, 2017, 2018, analytics were really starting to roar and get big, especially with Philly. Um, I've seen how you go about your business in the cage and your routine in the cage is your baby. Like you, ha you have your routine, you stick to it every day. And I thought that was really impressive for a young player early in the big leagues. And you were one of the most disciplined cage workers I, I had been around, which was really cool. Um, so getting into that and how big analytics are, do you look at the analytics? Do you use certain analytics? If, if so, which ones? And do you take them into your cage work? I know we can talk about launch angle and this and that because I know um, you are trending up every year in, in launch angle. I mean, I hate talking about that, but that's what that's where we are right now. <laughs> and uh, is that something you think about? Is that something you work on? Um, I just want to hear your, your your thoughts on that side of things. Yeah, totally, man. Um, look, I think the, the you know the analytics side of baseball is something that um, if you're not doing it, you're behind. I think at this point. Um, it's so widespread and can be helpful. I think we as players can get into trouble because we don't really know what the right amount of information for us is. And every guy is different. Um, do I think about these things? Not really, no. Definitely not in the game. Um, I think a lot of these things are brought up really when there's a lot of struggle. Um, I am the type of hitter that when it's going well, I'm not thinking. It's just a lot of reacting. And I'm sure you've heard a lot of guys say that to you. I'm sure you've had a bunch of conversations with, you know, guys in the past and they've said the exact same thing. Um, in the off season, it's a little bit different. You know, maybe there's a overall focus that I'm trying um, to make a little bit more normal for me. Um, you know, whether it's whatever, whatever it may be. So yeah, there might be a little bit more dive um, into some of those specific numbers during the off season. Yeah. But during the season, I'm more of a field hitter and um, sure, I know what I'm trying to do. And a lot of that is, you know, high line drives or line drives are high or whatever. And my misses will hopefully go over the fence. So, um, but that's because that's the type of player that I am. And I think every guy's different. So you just kind of need to find the type of player you are and what works for you. That's what people think too, is they think guys are trying to lift the ball. No, you're, yeah. you're not trying to lift the ball. So you're, you're as a hitter, especially now with this new age wave of hitting, you're not trying to lift the ball. You're simply just trying to be for the correct terms on plane with the pitch. Right. right. So the longer you're, if you're able to match the plane of the pitch, you're in the hitting zone longer. So there's a bigger room for error. Exactly. Right. So it Literally. just, your timing can be early or late and you're still got barrel. It gives you a bigger chance to, to square the ball up. That's all it is. It's not you trying to hit the ball in the air. For That's sure. just the result. And with all these numbers out here, um, I know the best chance for me to have success for me, my type of player. Now, a Roman Quinn type player is going to, you know, their, his, his chance for success is completely different than mine. Complete opposite. Um, right. So I'm just trying to maximize the amount of times that I can have success, that I can impact the baseball. Um, and those numbers are helpful for me, but I don't take that into, into the game and think, okay, I got to hit the ball between 18 and 26 degrees. No, I'm just trying to square the ball up. Just try to hit it hard. A lot of my work is geared toward having the most success um, as I can. Hit a fly ball. Damn it, that was only 30 degree launch angle. <laughs> Gosh. Um, and that, on a similar note, um, Jason Ochar, still his new, uh, I shouldn't say new, he's been there for a good year plus now. Um, let me, was he coaching at Sac State when you were over at Sac State? He, he wasn't quite yet, right? No, he was not there when okay. I was there. Okay, so uh, kind of something funny that me and you share is that uh, Jake McKinley, who was one of your assistants, okay. over at Sac State, he was my head coach in college. And so he and Jason have a good relationship. They ended yeah. up coaching together later on. And 
what a lot of people, if you don't know who Jason Ochart is, he was basically the OG at driveline for hitting. He was the hitting coordinator. And then he went on to the Philadelphia, Philadelphia Phillies, where he works with Reese and, and other guys within the Phillies with their hitting. How much does he play and implement his strategies into the team within Phillies baseball? Because driveline, a lot of people talk about it with pitching. And people talk about driveline. You throw harder if you do the driveline programs. But what does it mean to be a driveline hitter? I don't think a lot of people understand what that is exactly. Yeah, so Jason got there, I think, in 2019. Yeah, it was um, a year after me. Yeah, yeah, 2019. Um, and I believe his – I'm don't. i not sure of his exact title, but I, I think he's the minor league hitting co- coordinator. Okay. Um, so I really only get to see Jason during spring training. And I know, he, you know, he's got his um, ideologies and what he thinks, you know, gives hitters his best chance to hit. But I've also been around Jason long enough that um, if a guy feels like something's working for him, he's trying to make that work the best for that hitter. Mm-hmm. Um, not as, as cookie cutter as it can be, but I know all of his work, again, is geared towards trying to maximize guys' chances to have success and hit the ball as hard as they can um, as many times as they can. So well, let me ask you this. How many – I don't want to say how many. I don't want to put a number on it. But is there a lot of guys in the league implementing driveline strategies into their day-to-day um, activities? I think so. I think you've seen a lot of guys have um, some success, and um, I know a lot of guys turn to that um, when they feel like they need to. So I think you can see that. I personally am not one. Um, but I know there's a lot of guys in the league that are. Oh, uh, and we, so I'll be the one to keep changing pace, but there's, we got to ask you about Harper, obviously, because <laughs> he's, he's Bryce Harper and he's, he's, you know, arguably one of the faces of baseball. And, um, I, I played with him long before you got to play with him. We played in the, uh, Arizona Fall League together in 2011, okay. and he okay. was just a kid, man. Like, I don't want to say raw. Maybe raw as a human being, but not as a baseball player, because he was just a he was just a kid, you know. But he had, uh, I mean, Trout was on that team too. I might as well have just been a fan of just just watching <laughs> those guys play. But um, so I guess, what, how has your opinion of Bryce changed since you played against him and now being able to play with him and grind out a season every day with him? Yeah, so I, I think I think you hit it on the the head there. I think it's the perspectives were very very different. Um, I think he's that guy when you play against him that um, you hate when he beats you. And he beats you a lot because he's really, really good. Um, and he killed us as a national. He really did. When I was in the league from, and he wasn't affiliated, he killed us. He absolutely killed us. Um, but he's just – he's the most competitive person I've ever been around in anything that he does, um, especially anything that has to do with the baseball and a baseball bat. Um and it's contagious. It's contagious to be around. Honestly, though, he's just a normal dude, man. He's a normal dude. Uh, when he's been on, you know, when I've got to spend some time with him, I've gotten to, um, he's my locker mate. So I've, we've really had a lot of good conversations and I've gotten to learn a lot. You know, this guy's been through something in life in sports that maybe one other person has gone through with yeah, him maybe. on, you know, so um, he's got a lot of interesting perspective on a lot of different things, and um, but he's really just a normal dude. I'm glad he's in red pinstripes, though. Yeah. He can't kill us anymore. Grow, growing up and, and having that pressure of being like a the prodigy, that's got to be so – like it's awesome it. from an outsider. You're like, wow, this is really cool. I wish I could do that. But if you yeah. get in those shoes, that's a lot of pressure game, for a high school kid, enough. you know? What was that? Game's hard. I said oh, the game's hard enough. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, what's his view? What's his view on like all the analytics stuff? Because his swing is, for the most part, his swing has been the same his entire life. Uh, just a lot of torque and power and force and output. Um, just he has so much speed in his swing, um, and it hadn't changed a ton. I, I see him make little changes with his leg lift and stuff like that. Just watching you guys play because I still follow you guys. Um, what's his? outlook on, on the analytical side of things. Does he get into it or is he just kind of like, I'm a stud, I'm going to roll out there and, and beat you because I'm just better than you. There is a lot of that, but yeah, he, he utilizes things. Um, you know, when he, when he, maybe he feels like he needs to make an adjustment or maybe he's just a tick late, you know, and, or he's missing pitches 
up in the zone when he normally he's been hitting them, those types of things. Um, but like you said, he's, he's also just a freak. He's a freak athletically. Um, he creates so much torque that he'll, he'll miss hit balls and I'll hit squarely and he'll miss hit him further. So yeah. crazy talented. Let me ask you one more and then we'll, uh, we'll, uh, kick it into fifth gear. How the hell did you go unrecruited in high school? You got ended up getting a partial scholarship to Sac State. You went to Jesuit. For people that don't know, Jesuit is a very good sports athlete. They have very good athletic programs in the Sacramento area. You somehow didn't get any offers basically anywhere but Sac State. How the hell did East Bay and Stanislaus and UNR, which was right down the road, how the hell did they not call up, call you up when you were not? Were you just small in stature? unimpressive like what was the deal with that i i don't i'm just trying to wrap my head around that yeah i honestly i think um i was kind of late to the game and specializing mm-hmm. uh, in in sports um i played three sports in high school up until my senior year and i also played two my senior year so i didn't play like a ton of summer baseball i didn't play a ton of circuit baseball where i think you get seen a lot in those um especially nowadays so I really just played a lot of high school sports and um, I finally played on a summer ball team going into my senior year of high school. And I happened to play uh, our home field was the Sac State baseball field because it wasn't mm. new summer. Um, so I played a lot of baseball there, but um, yeah, man, I think I just, I was playing other sports and I'm really glad that I was, I love playing other sports. Um, but I was prepared to go to JC. I just wanted knew I wanted to play baseball after high school and see where it went. But was it going to be was it going to be Sierra Delta, one of the ones in the area? Yeah, I, I hadn't really looked into it a yeah. whole lot. Um, I lived pretty close to American River. Okay. Um, you know, Sierra had a good program. Always did. City had a good program when I was growing up, but. Um, there's a lot of good choices. There's a lot of good baseball in Sacramento. So I knew uh, I was going to have an opportunity somewhere. All right. Well, um, yeah, we want to, we always do rapid fire with our guests. All right. For sure. Nothing too crazy, but, uh, just first answer that comes to mind. I, I got a, I got a couple and the Danny's got a couple, but, uh, I, I can't not ask you what's your favorite cheesesteak at Philly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say Joe's. Yeah. There's a Joe's on South street. Um, that I've been to a couple times that I'd say that's they make, they make a mean one in the visiting clubhouse over there too. I've heard that. I've it's, heard that. it's really good. Um, okay. So when you Homer, you throw up the center field. Can you just tell me why? Yeah. So a couple of years ago, Hector Neris um, came up to me in the locker room. I think I hit a couple homers in a game or maybe just one. Um, there was some music playing and he just came up to me and went rock on, rock on. So I think I hit another homer the next day and he was going crazy in the bullpen, throwing that up to me. So I threw it back to him. And oh, so it's through the bullpen. Okay. Yeah. Kind of stuck. All right. Um, I didn't know if you stuck your wife out in the center field seats and made her sit out there. <laughs> All right. Got it. I got it. Okay. So let's rewind 2018 spring training. Who was your favorite teammate? Will Middlebrooks. <laughs> I mean, don't give him that. Don't give him that. He was, he was fishing for okay. that. On a, on a serious note, on a serious note, what's the teammate you've learned the most from over your time in the big leagues? Um, I spent not a, a lot of time with this guy, but um, a lot of meaningful time is Jay Bruce. Oh, yeah. Jay Bruce, the last like probably you know year and a half, um, learned a lot about, about the game, about everything about the game. Uh, first class dude, man. First class dude. Yeah. All right. Last one for me. What's uh, other than playing in Philly, what stadium do you love to play in? I would say LA, the Dodgers. It's just a really different atmosphere. cool atmosphere. <laughs> yeah. Back to California. Um, Fenway is different, obviously. Wrigley is different, obviously, because there's just so much history. But I would say LA is my favorite. Okay. Jordan or LeBron? Jordan. Brady or Jordan? Jordan. Fair enough. Wow. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah, special Super Bowl. Not Brady's uh, shoes aren't as cool. I don't know what you guys think about today, but um, I'm not a huge Brady fan. 
Really? We'll, we'll, we'll cut this out of the podcast. I want to hear what you mean by that. I'll, I'll, I promise I'll cut this out. You said you're no, not I'm, a Brady. You're not a Brady fan. I grew up a Raider fan. So the tuck yeah. rule, the tuck rule is uh, that that clip is ingrained in my head. Left a bad taste in your mouth. I get it. Did you grow up in a uh, uh, Carmichael or uh I did. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Right. Yeah. So you know Roma's pizza? Oh yeah. Oh, that place is good, right? Yeah, Roma's, and then another place we would go to a lot is um, Mark and Monica's, which I don't know if you know where that is. It's over by ARC. Okay. Really good. Right on. I lived right off of um, Greenback for okay, like two yeah. minutes, I think. So, anyways. Okay. Nice. Uh, you got anything else, Brooksy? No, man. This was great. I um, really sure I enjoyed this, man. I miss you, buddy. I'll, uh, yeah, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta talk soon and stay in touch. And uh, I know you're driving down to spring training soon, so drive safe. Appreciate and good you. luck this year, man. I'm really looking forward to watching you guys. Yeah, glad to see y'all are killing it with this. It's been fun to follow. I obviously will continue to. Yeah, we'll talk soon. All right, man. Cool, man. Appreciate you guys. Later. I think Reese Hoskins could be. If he has a monster year, he could be a real difference maker for the Phillies. I mentioned I think they have an outside chance. Let me ask you, who's going to be the biggest X factor slash difference maker in that division? Not just with the Phillies, but everyone across that division. Who are you thinking? I definitely agree on Reese. I do think he has a big big year. I think his numbers dipped a little bit um, the last couple of years, but I really think he's a mature hitter. Yes. He's gonna, he, he soaks up everything around him, and he's surrounded by some really good hitters. So, so he chill. has a big year. What? He's so chill. He doesn't press. No, man. If he does, we can't tell. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, difference maker for me, I'm going to stick with the, uh, with the Mets, and I'm going to go with Marcus Stroman. Yeah. I, I mean, we know what we know we're going to get from DeGrom. Um, yeah, I think Stroman actually has a really, really good year. I think he has maybe his best season he's had as a professional. Um, he's fresh. He had the time off last year. Just talking to him on this show, his mindset is like, I mean, even following him just on social media and on Twitter and text conversations that I've had with him, his mindset is just on another level. His his work ethic is on another level. Yes, he's a small guy, so he maybe has to put in a little extra, but his drive and motivation and the work he puts in has really impressed me. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he's going to do all that for nothing. I think he goes off this year. And um, we'll say he's a number three. He's going to be the best number three in the game. And I, I stand by that. I think he has a phenomenal year. Whoa, Clayton Kershaw is like punching the air right now because he could be the Dodgers number three. That's fine. I think Stroman has a better year. Wow, fair enough. I will say Stroman back in 2019, which is the last season he pitched because he sat out in 2020. Um, his FIP was 3.72. Very good. Expected FIP, 3.99. So we'll see um, what the law of averages brings out of him. Noah Syndergaard is, I really think he's going to be the difference maker. The only problem is, is that I don't want to put too many expectations on a guy coming back from Tommy John surgery. We talked about this offline. It's one thing to expect Mike Soroka to come back to his physical peak because he's coming off of a lower leg injury. But when you're coming off of elbow, shoulder, anything in that arm. It's hard to place too many expectations on the guy, but if Syndergaard comes back and is any sort of shape that he once was, yeah, and you that's, have four Cy Young caliber starters. Yeah, and the Mets, uh, I mean, they're going to need him in the second half. They're they're known for kind of losing it in the second half. So I think he comes back strong. I think the hardest part for the organization will be not bringing him back too early because mm-hmm. He looks good in camp. He looks good in his bullpens. He says he's ready to go. Play it safe. You have the depth right now, and you're going to start the year, hopefully, with everyone healthy. Give it a couple months. Let him be ready, and then even more ready, and then bring him back. And then you're going to get a strong second half, and you'll be off and ready to go for, for next year, too. So it's, it's about more than this, this year for the Mets because, I mean, it looks like they're set to be pretty good for the next few years. Breaking news. Breaking Mets news. Steve Cohen back on Twitter. Is he? He's back on Twitter. Mets owner after the whole big game stop. Whew. Deal. Thank God. Big, big, <laughs> big, big, big news. 
for me. He's fun, man. He's so good for the fans, too. And not just the Mets fans, like baseball fans. Yeah. Because he's so transparent. No one is as transparent about their moves or decisions um, other than uh, your boy from the, from the Mariners. <laughs> That's a perfect way to end this show. What do you say? We uh, talk a little bit more spring training next week. Well, sound good? I'm in, buddy. All right. We'll continue our spring training previews next Wednesday. Until then, peace out.